Welcome to another edition of Reptile Fight Club. Um, I'm Justin Julander, your host, and with me is always, or mostly always. I am more always now than mostly always. Stop <laughs> that's it. true. Stop that's it. true. I'm, it's only I'm been back. a couple times. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> all right. Wow, all you right, fall right. off like one or two times, and it, it just <laughs> just become Mister Undependable to Justin. I see. I got you. Hey, you gotta you gotta earn that, man. You gotta. I, I mean, it is fair. You've covered for me more times than I've covered for you. So, but yeah, but I always yeah. say that's why you're the host and I'm the co-host. <laughs> well, and, and we are joined today by another uh, master of podcasting, <laughs> Doctor Zach Lofman. Yeah. So, Hi, going, y'all. Zach? It's going well. Welcome. Welcome back. Yes. I mean, we've had yeah. Zach before, so we're we're trying to give him a better topic this time. Mm-hmm. It's a little easier to pick either side. So the last time we discussed UV light, yes. and that was he got the con side of that, which is kind of a it, you know a it, little harder to. Define. Yeah, I had to give myself fifty lashes later that night when I got home. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair well, enough. Fair and, enough. And and uh, the. Uh, um, Co-host of the podcast Clubroids uh, and Clubroids yes, Radio. Yes, that's correct. My, yeah, yeah, part of NPR, just Good like stuff. yours. Yeah, yeah, we're all under the same little mm-hmm. family. Just having a little family there reunion you go. here. So, <laughs> and a busy hurt man of science. Yeah, I try. Yeah. We'll see how this goes yeah. tonight. <laughs> yeah. I, I well, got, I, I got I, faith. I, I, yeah, I think it's it'll be a lot mm-hmm. of fun for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, my my last uh, clutch of snake eggs hatched. I got a twenty uh, hypo brettles. So God, the boatload <laughs> of brettles. We can do with those. Yeah, I, I'm waiting for them to shed. There's some nice looking ones in there, but yeah, they look kind of shiny and d- different until they're first shed. So yeah, I saw I saw Doctor Zach's son uh, also posted up some brettles too. Ah, yes. Little baby Lucas. Yeah. Lucas. That, that's Lucas. Yes. In case, in case anybody didn't catch you, Dr. Zach's like, son is. Why are you following yeah. his son? That's no. No. Come now. Yeah. Yeah. Lucas is uh, doing some good stuff with Brettles. Mm-hmm. Sure. He's doing some good stuff, and, period. And you, Aspidites. You, yeah. He's Apparently, he's buying up all the Aspidites in uh, California, yeah. all the Womas and... Yeah, he's got a few blackheads, so <laughs> he's gonna have a yeah. problem soon. He just doesn't realize it yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. He knows what nice. he's doing. So yeah. you have, oh yeah, for sure. No, no, most definitely. I mean, you can <laughs> see, you can see the uh, the success that he's having across the range of of different reptiles that he's keeping, and see that he is um, he's he's top notch. He knows what he's doing. So yeah, yeah. I guess perhaps the biggest news in my. Uh, Life right now is the, the uh, finally getting a copy of the more complete carpet python in my hands. So that's uh, really nice to have the that gigantic here. book you got there, sir. <laughs> it's it's a little large. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I can say so. Seeing it in in person, I was kind of like, Jesus, <laughs> this thing's a toe, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And just in case anybody wondered when Dr. Zach and I came on, he was reading it in front of us to just, just to, just to be a bragger. Uh Yes. Just to be a bragger about having a a copy in his hand. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, and it worked. It worked. It was well done. Well done. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm glad it landed. But yeah, the, yeah. Uh, Bob sent uh, Nick and I both two copies each, so it's not can't do much with those. But mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, it's fun. Did you find um, yourself? I saw that Nick was emotional. Did you find yourself emotional? 
when you finally I, got I, your, I wept for hours. Hours. For hours. I was pre- I was pretty excited. I was pretty excited. <laughs> I can't say that I was too emotional. I I don't know. It's it's kind of one of those one of those things where you've worked so hard of it had at it and studied it so much and you're just staring at the thing for years and then you know you just kind of want to like get away from it a little bit so but I, you know holding it in your hand is a different thing that's really sure. exciting and seeing sure. it on the printed page is there's just something different than looking at it digitally you know yeah. to, to hold well, it well it's 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 the it's it it's the the breadth and scope of the work versus like the the reward of the final product right yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. you do a paper or whatever it is you're talking about and you just want to get away from it after you're done you're like oh my god yeah. i'm exhausted get this away from me but mm-hmm. but, but gosh to have you know a book that that will go out and anger every Australian carpet python fan <laughs> over in Australia. What could be better? You know, yeah. are you I've already are you gonna, got that? Yeah, ball I was going to say. I, yeah. I was going to say. You're, I saw. I saw some uh, uh, some some hate fair already from uh, yeah from yeah. Some, for, I think it was just over the poster too. It wasn't even the they haven't even read yeah. the book yet. Well, so. the, the poster shows the yeah shows the yeah. kind of the genetic uh, layout that we we went with because it, the data supported that. Yeah. You know, that's the best thing we could come up with the data <laughs> so you know it's it's not necessarily we can just kind of push the blame to the data isn't that that's what you exactly do what science? you do like it's not us it's just what the data yeah. the data yeah. says so um, don't, ha- don't hate I, me hate the data <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was talking to nick today we were, we were saying you know we'll throw out a challenge there if any australians are really upset about it and want to come debate it with us Come on, Reptile Fight Club. Uh, we'll, we'll take you on. Yeah, I'm <laughs> uh, down for that one. I want to see can, that. We can defend what we've come up with here. Sure. I guess if we lose the coin toss, maybe we'll have to argue the other way. But <laughs> Well, I mean, I, yeah. I guess, you know, I, the, the question becomes like uh, – Okay, so you disagree. So where's where is your you know where's your evidence to support the, your disagreement of this? And a lot of it is from what I was reading, based on old physical yeah. you know phenotypical uh, ways that were, they were previously classified. So people are just kind of holding on to the old uh, in spite of of what the new says, which is yeah. it, it, which is kind hey, of leads know. us into our topic <laughs> a little bit. You know, I, I feel sure. like it'll it'll. It'll fit well. Um, yeah. So. How how well do we roll with scientific changes in in the hobby or, or, or change, in general? Yeah, change in yeah. general, right? <laughs> I don't know. I I love that uh, sunny in Philadelphia bit where they're talking about science, bitch, yes. <laughs> and they like you know slap it over Newton's <laughs> face or whatever. He was wrong, <laughs> and he was the leading scientist of his day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, good stuff. Well. I, I I was curious about that, Zag. You know, as a mm-hmm. an actual in the flesh taxonomist, you know, what do you think? What subspecies? Like, what do you need to call something a subspecies or, or even a species? I'm more on. Now I'm going to get murdered. Oh, <laughs> but I'm I'm dragging you yeah, down, man. Dra- I'm drowning. Okay. And I'm just I mean, going to pull I, you I down with me. Stand on this. I know a lot of people are pro subspecies, yeah. but I am definitely. The data that's coming out of the the world of evolution and and molecular phylogeography mm-hmm. and zoogeography and molecular phylogenetics and systematic like all of it just points more and more and more towards subspecies being somewhere between like barely legitimate and absolute hot garbage and there's you know that that's okay. the the continuum so I'm on I'm on team yeah, I mean yeah. I, I looked at the poster and I believe that we were mm-hmm. you were promoting more species level stuff is that correct i mean we 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 tried to 
retain some semblance of yes. what's been proposed and what's been utilized and things like that. So, you know, it's it's just our take yep. and just kind of how we parse out different different groups. But I mean, if if it were if I were you know, if I were a real taxonomist, I would probably know what mm-hmm. I was doing in this and and maybe we would be confident in saying these are species, but I think there's definitely some breaks where you yeah. could say, ah, this is probably a species. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they they always kind of go back to that, well, if it can interbreed, you know, if populations can interbreed, they're not full species. Yeah, but, but when we look at I, I don't we know, look at, that's that's not the case in the bird it's world. It's not and, like know. that whole idea of yeah, you've got yeah. to have reproductive communities that are isolated from each other and there's no interbreeding at all and it's you know, it's mm-hmm. that kind of Ernst Mayer view of what a species is. Mm-hmm. Um, it there's just so much evidence now that we actually have the ability to get a genome like in rapid time. And it's not we're not yeah. just looking at one gene; we're looking at like the whole thing. And then you end up looking, mm-hmm. oh, well, this closely related taxa. We've got a genetic influence of it in here, and then there's another taxa in here. And um, yeah. I don't know. I, I I just am leaning more and more and more towards. Uh, either getting rid of subspecies for the most part, or just making it a case by case by case basis. Now mm-hmm. I will say this. I come from the world of invertebrates with the crayfish. Cause that's where I'm the systematics mm-hmm. guy. Uh, and it's definitely yeah. a different type of dynamic, but I also have looked at mm-hmm. the herp world of taxonomy um, recently and read papers and everything with the book that I was writing on the South American guys. I did deep, deep, deep dives into Systematics. I think there's yeah. going to be about 12 people on planet Earth that are going to enjoy reading that part of the book. Um, but <laughs> but uh, and I enjoyed writing it, and I can I can say like it, it, yeah. it. I just think that there's something to be said for some of these taxa that has that in the past couple decades have been put out into the ether, and everybody just trashes it because it's new. If you you know, but mm. then again. Th- you got to look at the genes and you got to understand what the genes are saying. And you got to also as a science guy or naturalist or just breeder, uh, what Mm -hmm. they don't teach you in school is that everybody's kind of allowed to have their own definition of what constitutes a species. And as long as you produce (laughs) the evidence to support your definition, um, you're good to go. And Mm -hmm. that's what leads to all this trouble. Uh, I I hear (laughs) on on podcasts and I hear people talk about all the time, like this should be a consensus there should be a magic percentage difference with genetics and you know, <laughs> yeah, that that's just never going to happen. It, um, yeah. It's I, not I don't happen. see how that makes any sense. No. Yeah. So, um, and I can tell you the first crayfish tax I described was in 2009. Um, and my definition mm-hmm. of a species back then compared to what it is today in 2022, it's different. Uh, in fact, I have one I named that I am actually now yeah. kind of like, so do I get another paper when I get rid of that one? Like literally, I don't know what to do yeah. because that's science, though. It's not static. Uh, it's dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and exactly. I, a lot of people don't like that. They 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 learned it this way and that is the way. And that's not really being scientific. So Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean it's 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 hard when you go and find your favorite, mm-hmm. you know, group has been reorganized oh, yeah. and you don't agree with the way they did it and you're like but then again that's also science to to not have to be forced to agree yes. with with something just because somebody published it, you mm-hmm. know. So um yeah. Like the children's we'll, we'll python see. paper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a great example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My favorite, yeah. It's pro- <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Taxonomy is is kind of a fun thing, I guess. It's uh 
you know, self-perpetuating. Like you said, you can describe a species and then undescribe mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, 13 years later. Yeah, that's a good... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's kind of like uh, outbreaks, you know, pandemics and virology. You know, anytime there's a pandemic, we're the only ones that get excited. <laughs> that means more funding for the work mm-hmm. we're doing, you know. It's like, uh, it's sad that that has to be the case. I yep. Guess, but. Well, I yeah, I, I guess... Uh, I, I'm I'm still kind of scratching my head about taxonomy. I still don't get you know what what kind of benchmarks that that are uh, you know the the important and and I guess group to group or or you know uh, it can differ and that's just frustrating I guess because you you want it like this is the rule and this is mm-hmm. how you do it and they're well just and really I, I think that's what people want right rules. in general right yeah. they, they want they yeah. want that no this five percent genetic difference means it's a new species and it's just mm-hmm. like you can look across one species and uh, or one genus uh, or, or, you know, one family and see something different than in another family. So what the, the mark and the measure for one is not the mark and the measure for the other. And people just have a hard time with that, yes. I think. And it's like, cause it, it you know, it, it makes it, you know, it makes it, uh, it makes it very nipper almost, you know, every, every, everybody's doing their own thing and it's like, Oh, this is totally arbitrary. And, you know, and you have to be a taxonomist to, you know, and and I'm sure if you're not a taxonomist, people are like, well, that's just taxonomist scientists making up their own bullshit to support yeah. their own bullshit, yeah. right? Like that's, I mean, that, that's how people who don't agree see it. You know, and for the record, when the the taxonomists get together, I I I think it's funny because we totally look at each other and go, you're, you know, that's totally bullshit. I've I've done that. Yeah. I've been on the receiving end of that. Um, and you just uh-huh. like, does it ever come to yeah. blows? It, it doesn't just, come to blows because <laughs> yeah. normally, I mean, okay, I'm a so you're not as yeah. bad as herpes virus. Exactly. Scientists. If you think okay. like snake, <laughs> really, I did oh, not I know there that was being crazy. They're molecular people. Molecular people are next level. Uh, no offense. There's some crazy stuff that go. Yeah, some of <laughs> mm-hmm. these groups yeah. are like just like so emphatic about yeah. their ideas. It's come to no. blows at some point. Like, I wasn't like, witness like of that. My, the antiviral. Yeah, herpes yeah, simplex exactly. one and herpes simplex I've, two. I've heard stories mm-hmm. of, of they don't fist fights breaking and, out at conferences because yeah. oh, <laughs> they didn't agree with each no. other's conclusions. That yeah, is the pretty. most sexually transmitted <laughs> awesome thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Fighting yeah, herpes. No, crayfish nerds oh, aren't bad. Yes. We're, not, we're not aggressive. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I could emphatically could, disagree yeah. with it. Well, the yeah, other thing yeah, is there's also four of us on the planet. Like, there's literally four crayfish taxonomists right now. That are working yeah. in North America, and you all have yeah. different. And ideas I am by far and away <laughs> yeah. the youngest. Um, so, pretty, uh-huh. the, the running joke is that soon, <laughs> when the other when the others like retire, I'm just going to inherit this kingdom <laughs> that is all my own because there's nobody yeah. else that's freaking yeah. doing it. So. Uh, that's when I'm going to really write you. You can make it all yours. Can we call you the cray father then? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) You have to wait until they retire. I know. Well, I'm I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm trying to pump out grad students (laughs) on the crayfish side that can do the systematics. I have two currently. uh, And I I had a third that I I was like, you know, you want to get a PhD? You're doing taxonomy uh, because we, we desperately Mm. need that. There's this whole thing. Um, called the taxonomic impediment, where basically it's very difficult. To, like taxonomists are endangered species because there's no money mm-hmm. um, in our work. Mm-hmm. Ironically, snake taxonomists are one of the few that can get the funding 
with venomous snakes because there's an evolutionary mm. link to the venom and with snake bite across the world, understanding mm-hmm. who evolved, you know, what venom system is allied with what, which clade and, and how to create antivenin and all that kind of stuff. You know, there, there is some yeah. funding that you can get uh, for that, but crayfish. Uh, uh, nope. That's, I, <laughs> that's the, tr- that's the tricky mm-hmm. thing too, is, a, you know, so much of this depends on funding mm-hmm. and why is it not important to understand the, the world? Yeah. Biodiversity, you know, classify things kind of there. And uh, to identify mm-hmm. species at risk and things yeah. like that. Yeah. It's Cause we're destroying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. It's probably the big companies are like, <laughs> don't mean, fund them. We don't yeah. want new species yes. to have to impede our. Exactly. Progress. Exactly. <laughs> what? Yeah. Money making. No, I, I have to spend a hundred thousand dollars to mitigate a fucking new endangered species. I'm not doing that. Yeah, no, I, I actually was, was working on a taxa that was going to, it ultimately became listed by fish and wildlife service. And we were saying mm-hmm. the entire time, like this could be two species. This could be two species uh, because we had geographic evidence, genetic evidence, but we just literally didn't have enough animals in hand to do the morphology. And it wasn't until we got the money to go and do this thing called a species status assessment, which is when you go out and like create the big document that's necessary to, to list the taxa. Um, That's what, Mm -hmm. that was the first time I got the money to get to the museums, to get the animals in hand. And then we got, you know, we measured them. And sure enough, during that process, we, I ended up with some collaborators describing a second species and, Holy hell, you want to talk about mm. pissing people off <laughs> midway through the endangered species pro- <laughs> listing process. You take the tax and split it even more. So um, you yep. get a twofer out yep, of it. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, But I'm still to this day defending that description uh, because um, mm-hmm. people think that I had some kind of motive or just carving it up to keep yeah. it protected longer and all this kind of stuff. And it's not. I mean, the yeah. science is as sound as sound can be. So. Anyway. Sure. Yeah. I mean, how, I how guess if you uh, couldn't species? back it up, yeah. like that would be one thing. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, no, we, we, it's totally okay. repeatable. Whatever. Anybody in a freshman <laughs> yeah. or sorry, like a sophomore junior genetics class in biology can get the data mm-hmm. off of GenBank and literally do the exact same analysis that shows that they're two different taxa. So, hmm. how many species of crayfish are there? Uh, there's about 700. Uh, when we're all done oh, wow. naming them, <laughs> oh, we'll, my we'll have. Yeah. Probably between eight and nine hundred. But what's really funny is like that seems like a lot, huh. but there's like twenty five hundred species yeah. of snake. So it's actually yeah, a really yeah. manageable sure. uh, a group of animals. And that's worldwide. Yes. Seven mm-hmm. seven hundred. Now in North America we yeah. have about four hundred, so we really do kinda you know mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, okay. Hog yep. the the species mm-hmm. over here. Is that just because more work's been done over here? Uh, to a certain it, degree. It's harder to get funding to study. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm sure there's pre- plenty of cryptic mm-hmm. species out there. That, uh, know, Australia has described. a genus. Australia is the other area that mm-hmm. the other part of the world that has mm-hmm. hyper. We have some yeah, cool no, that, ones, colorful. Yeah, and, we have know, the, blue. like, we have a bunch of <laughs> yeah. brown ones uh, and we've got uh-huh. the diversity. <laughs> they have species that are like the size of footballs covered in spines that uh-huh. make you bleed when you pick them up. Like yeah. they're much much that cooler. sounds very australian yes it is yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I tell correct. everybody including Aussie scott eifert like the first time i get to australia i'm gonna have a stroke and die in the middle of a rainforest because if i if i can see in one plane of like one view 
a carpet python, a monitor, and one of these giant crayfish. My brain's not going to be able to take that. I'm just going to stroke out. <laughs> yeah. Now, right yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can't imagine that. Well, let's happening. hope they don't all make an uh-huh. appearance yeah, at can't. the same they time. They have to yeah. come individually <laughs> yeah. because I, I just simply can't uh, imagine. <laughs> So you can Seeing handle it. it. Yeah, I, I, the, the, I, I won't be able to take it. The statistical odds of hitting the trifecta. Yes, that's my trifecta. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah. May save your yes. life. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah. Anywho. But, no, I, yeah. I, I have plans to get to Australia, and, but I've got plans to go to other mm-hmm. places. So I have to kind of put that one in the bucket, like in the back burner, because it's one of those places mm-hmm. I know that when I inevitably get there, I will be going back time and time and time and time and time again. Mm-hmm. So because uh, yeah. there's just too much there. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, and I don't even yeah. want to talk about no, New Guinea because sure. New Guinea has a genus of crawdads called Carax, <laughs> and there's a guy mm. who every time he goes into New Guinea and comes out, he comes out with like six <laughs> new species, and these are the species mm-hmm. that are in the um, aquarium trade. They're like purple and neon blue and mm. red, and they they, yeah. they look like they came from like some alien plopped them down. They don't look like crayfish at all, uh, and, and I also no, can't imagine cool. you know yeah. the probability of like a crocodile monitor. Uh, a maruki <laughs> or you know a, a blue tongue skink a, one of their taipans a green tree python yeah. and a carax yeah. just too much i die another another stro- <laughs> yes. another strokeable mm-hmm. moment yeah. Yeah. yeah nice that mm-hmm. one seems a little less likely yeah. than the australian one even so you're, you're probably yeah, there's safe. too much going yeah. on there so yeah. Well, and yeah new guinea's a little yeah. sketchy very anyway sketchy going there How, yeah, yeah mean, you could die yeah. you could uh-huh. die from getting you killed, can get killed like, at the airport. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, never mind yeah. self death. Yeah, <laughs> watch out for those machete wielding, mm-hmm. you know, folks that yeah, set up roadblocks. Really. Well, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, taxonomies. It's really an interesting thing, and it was kind of fun, kind of doing a deep mm-hmm. dive for this book into all the different uh, biogeographic barriers, and you know. Uh, drainage basins and yeah. all this stuff and then looking at the genetic side and there there is a pretty good data set by uh sea of aglia's group that puts out a bunch of different you know uh shows shows some differences at least i you know i don't know how significant the differences are and that's kind of difficult to 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 for a lay person to understand mm-hmm. i guess but um i mean it looks like oh this is a different fork than this yep. one so that must mean they're different you know that kind of thing so it's hard to know how significant those differences yeah. are the, the issue with so I, I those to... trees that i don't think people understand unless you're in this world mm-hmm. which when i learned this yeah. a couple years ago my, my mind went like boom is that as you add more samples to the tree you're adding more mm-hmm. variation to the tree and the trees mm-hmm. shape we topology architecture whatever you want to call it it can like you can literally add like one more sample and everything shifts um and so Mm. what what my group does with the crayfish is when we get the tree and it shows like this tax is over here and this tax is over here and it's all supposedly one thing and we might be working with a new species or not a new species or whatever is that we then always vet it against geography so like and that's where mm-hmm. understanding what our planet's done for the past, like, three, five, ten, fifty million years is kind of important. Yeah. Um, but yeah. If, if the, if yeah. the, geo- if the, if the clades, that's what we call the groups, clade out in a way mm-hmm. that matches, like, a historical geography or, in my case, river systems that are here, there, and everywhere, uh, and then you get a little bit of morphology, that little trifecta, that's, like, done. Like at that, you know, and, and I've mm-hmm. also learned through doing this, um, 
you'll drive yourself crazy if you try to find like perfection. You just have to call it yeah. and accept it and move on and then deal with the repercussions okay. when the paper comes out. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> That seems to be the the tricky <laughs> mm-hmm. thing is like, <laughs> yeah, figuring that out. But yeah, there. I mean, um, it was it was in some of these uh, how they kind of laid out in Sea of Aglia's work. Um, you know, didn't really make sense just looking at it. But then you get into some of the biogeographical, you know, ideas or, or hypotheses, and you're like, okay, maybe that yeah. could be a reason for that, or that could explain that. So. I don't know. Hopefully, the book uh, <laughs> covers enough of our our rambling thoughts that uh, you know that people can see why we came up with what we yeah, did. Yeah, well, no, so, I'm looking yeah, forward to it. It's all fun. Yeah. All right. Well, appreciate that. Yeah, we've gotten a pretty huge response. A lot of you know people putting their name on the list for a copy and stuff. So that's been that's been nice to see. It's well received, um, and we'll hopefully get the bulk of the shipment in October. So we'll start cool. shipping out books in October. But yeah, right now I I'm me and Nick are about the only ones that have copies and i think bob i don't know if bob's getting some himself or not I, he's kind of he's a man of few words mm-hmm. so we send him an email and he'll send us back a single sentence and you're like well that answered one of my five six <laughs> questions you know like <laughs> so but yeah it's 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 good working with bob but yeah the brevity of responses is a little uh that's maybe the downside. You're underwhelmed. Are you saying you're underwhelmed? <laughs> oh no, no. I mean, who's got a bo- who's got a book in their hand right now, Julinder? Yeah. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, I my my whining is falling on mm-hmm. deaf ears. But. Yeah. And sure. and we uh I'm I'm a bit out of it. I we dropped off my daughter at the airport to go to Costa Rica. She's gonna go teach English out there. So oh, nice. hoping to get over and visit her so I can go chase some snakes out there. But um we her flight left at uh six and so they said, you know, three hours early or whatever. So we, we left our house at one thirty and then we got there and sat around for an hour waiting for the the personnel for American Airlines to get to their station to check us in and stuff. So by the time we sent her on our way and got home, it was like five yeah. o'clock. So I got very little sleep last night, but so hopefully that won't, uh, won't mess up this yeah. uh, <laughs> the fight tonight. But well, I spent all day in um, but, uh, pre-semester mind numbing meetings. So uh-huh. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm there from a different way. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. I had the, uh, our department retreat yesterday. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, my we me and my colleague like dragged over a couch. We we had it up at a ski resort, but you know, of course it's summer, so it's not no skiing going on, but we dragged over a couch in the lodge and, and it was a nice comfy couch and so we sat on that and everybody else was on these <laughs> nice. you know, the cafeteria benches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but my colleague fell asleep. Uh-huh. So as soon as he started snoring, I kinda like shook him <laughs> awake. But yeah, the the department head was giving him a hard time about falling asleep during her uh spiel. Yeah. So it was pretty entertaining. Yeah. The 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 redeeming quality of the meeting was uh they had uh the cornhole oh, nice. so we could throw the bean bean bags in during breaks and stuff. It was pretty fun. Well, all right. We uh, anything else uh, going on? I'm good. Should we get to the the fight here? Well, tonight we're talking about uh, yes. Does does herpetoculture have scientific merit? Is there anything you know going on that's useful to science in general, or are we just kind of playing with snakes in boxes? So I think it'll be a fun topic to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll go ahead and I guess Chuck and I will flip the coin to see who gets to fight okay. you. 
So go ahead and call it, Chuck. Tails. It's heads, buddy. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, I'll I'll take this one. I think okay. it's a okay. fun fun topic I've been thinking about for a bit. So, all right, Zach, your turn. Uh, let's see if you can heads get this one. It's heads. Ooh, heads. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know which way I want to yeah. go with this. Um. <laughs> so for the record, I went against my instincts. Okay. On my oh, sure, on my flip. Sure, yeah, I, yeah. Look, I'm just it's telling you. I just, it's always easy to cut. <laughs> of course. I, I listen. Believe me. Don't believe me. I don't care. I'm just giving okay. Zach time to think which we whichever way he wants to to lambast you. I'm I'm going yeah. to. I was really hoping I didn't have to choose. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it. Does have scientific merit it does have scientific and merit. we'll okay. see how i do i'll go with the, now the concept. yeah all right sounds good okay so can we throw one qualifier well, in there that i want to know are sure. we talking about sure. like when we say herpetoculture that includes like zoos and universities you know uh, and fish and wildlife or are we talking yeah, about I mean, private sector herpetoculture i don't know what do you think i mean that's i kind of had it in mind as private i i, but, I, uh, yeah, I think that we should do private and take out because yeah, I think it's a much stronger argument if mm-hmm. you yet if you add zoos and, and that yeah. kind of thing that makes it very easy. And win, I might but. have chosen the wrong side, <laughs> yeah. but that's okay. All right, <laughs> no, right, we'll all go. right. Well, you you choose the most the more positive yeah. side, you know, giving uh, you know herpetoculture sure. credit for where credits due, sure. <laughs> where credit is <laughs> <Yes>. due, <laughs> maybe due. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and as the winner of the coin toss, would you like to go first, or would you like? Oh, to I always defer. To, Okay, <laughs> you pulling mm-hmm. a chuck, huh? <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, um, so yeah, I I think for you know the most part or, or the majority of the time, the herpetoculture is focused on probably making money. So people and and I think the biggest evidence of that is the morph craze. Um, you know, morphs have maybe a little bit of scientific merit associated with them, you know, and some of the things that they can help us identify. But for the most part, um, morphs are just variants, pretty variants that make people more money. And so they get excited when they hatch an out out an albino or find some albino in the wild or something. Then they like, Oh, they get the dollar signs in their eyes and they take it back to their collection and breed them out. And, and, uh, you know, I think one one evidence of that was the the uh, Mojave ball python, where they they didn't do their due diligence and, and breed it out to to the completion, you know, to see if there was a super, which is the the leucistic or or uh, kind of patternless ball mm-hmm. python, and so they they started selling the Mojave as a single gene, you know, or, or just a single phenotype type animal, and then um, once they realized there was a super. They tried to go back and say, no, we want more money for the Mojave. And they're like, yeah, no, that, that doesn't work that way. You can't put Pandora's uh, box back together. So isn't that uh, what you, isn't that what you get for not doing your, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. You do your due diligence or else you, you're going to lose out. But, um, so I, I think I'd maybe start out that way that, uh, the morph craze is kind of evidence that there's not much scientific merit to herpetoculture. So, uh, I, I am going to agree with you on that 100%. And I, I'm going to give a couple caveats here to cover my butt uh, because yeah. I definitely am on team private sector. If we really want to be taken seriously in the scientific community needs to really reevaluate what the hell we're doing. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And I, I can tell. <laughs> and so I am acknowledging that. And I could argue both mm-hmm. sides of this equally. But what I'm going to do is basically yeah. say there is a facet of the private sector, albeit the minority, mm-hmm. in my opinion, not the majority, that has looked at yeah. permaculture and uses it for uh, for good. Not that people making double head, purple hippopotamus, whatever the hells, are not doing <laughs> this for good. But uh, uh-huh. it, you know it, that that aspects the hobby. I hear people talk about the hobby all the time. And when I hear people talk about yeah. the hobby, that's what I think. It's the the morph craze. It's the line breeding yeah. things. The money into venture. oblivion. Yeah. yeah, that that is not <laughs> yeah. in any way a scientific enterprise. So when I think about the scientific side, mm-hmm. I actually rarely think about snakes, rarely think about lizards, and I go mm-hmm. to the turtle people because on many, many, mm-hmm. many occasions, I have given them props. Uh, like the turtle room people and the people that do the turtle survival alliance, yeah. because on on that side we have and it's it, we have private hobbyists that are part of a conservation initiative. Now you can argue conservation science two different disciplines. I'm going to put conservation mm-hmm. into the scientific discipline because there's the whole science of conservation biology. Uh, but you know the yeah. private sector in that, as far as the turtles are concerned, you you get these confiscations. There's thousands of individual turtles collected at once. There's no way, given the red tape and the bureaucracy of AZA, that North American zoos can take that on. And at the same time, I don't know if we want North American zoos that have super rare taxa bringing into their collections 500 Asiatic box turtles that could have Lord knows what diseases. So in that regard, those turtles need to go somewhere. And it's been proven time and time again that the private sector is a good place for them to go. The reason why this works is because there's communication between all the entities, the agency folks with fish and wildlife and the various state level DNRs are communicating with the private mm-hmm. sector people. And they're not necessarily viewing the private sector through this light of, you know, that they're in this for money, but rather they're a resource that we can use for the animals. But to get to that point, it took an awful lot of, um, trust building and the way that the trust building happens is by it being able to show that you are capable of doing something in a structured, organized, repeatable way. And that's basically employing something like the scientific method. So in that, you know, that particular mm-hmm. facet of herpetoculture, which is what I'm going to grab onto with both hands for this whole thing. <laughs> um, hold yeah, tight. Hold tight. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, you know, that's, that's where I feel, Herpetoculture can do do science, but I'm going to flat out say, un- yeah. unfortunately, I don't really feel like we do the best job promoting that that part of our hobby, discipline, whatever you want to call. It. But it is science when we yeah. do it that way. So I went yeah. there. I, I mean, I, 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 you know, of course, agree that the the turtle folks do do a bit more <laughs> in regards to that, and and yeah, that's a very valid point, and I I think um, maybe that kind of leads me to my next uh, concept or point or whatever is that uh, there's there's not a lot of cross talk. You know, we have kind of our little niche nippers. Mm-hmm, thank you. <laughs> little yes. nippers running around. You know, all these little nippers mm-hmm. out there um, where people don't really cross over. And, you know, I've, I've got, you know, a fairly wide, 
um, interest in reptiles and I like to he- hear about different groups and different taxa, but you know, so I, I get a little bit of that crossover and it's, I think it's valuable because you see what, what the turtle groups are doing or what the, you know, different groups are doing and you can see, oh man, they're way ahead of us in regards to their, their care or their, you know, what they're, what they're focused on and things like that, where, you know, you look at the, like the ball Python group and they're just focused on pretty snakes with paint jobs Mm -hmm. and fitting them into as small a rack as they can get away with, you know, and still get viable clutches every year. And so, you know, I, and, and that's not to say all ball Python people do that because I've heard of many ball Python people kind of setting up their animals and maybe, you know, making some observations of, of ball Python activity and things like that. But for the most part, people just want to look at a pretty snake in a, in a, even in a tub, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's another really good, uh, evidence that, uh, we're, we're kind of moving away from that scientific aspect and moving more towards just what's, what's going to make me money and, and how can I get it faster? Um, and, and, just the fact that people want to breed within, you know, uh, six months mm-hmm. to a year, if it won't breed for me, you know, what's the point of it? I, I got to get rid of it and get, make space for stuff. That's going to, going to cash in, uh, big for me. <laughs> so, um, but you know, when you have that, uh, lack of crosstalk, lack of sharing of ideas, you, you don't foster that, you know, scientific growth and, and the, the building of new ideas based on other groups. You know, there could be some valuable things that you could learn from other areas, but you're so focused on one group and, and making money off that group that maybe you miss the bigger picture of it's not all about money. And there's, there's things you can do in addition to, you know, making money to pay for your collection collections feed food bill or whatever that you can be doing uh within within your the animals you care for yeah now once again i am grabbing onto my minorities with both hands here (laughs) but there is a subset of private herpetoculture um where where they do go about this in a way where they're where they're doing records keeping records and then making evidence-based decisions and a lot of times those lone wolves that are willing to do that are the ones that actually crack the code on how to breed something. And then word gets mm-hmm. out from them. And then that becomes the standard of herpetoculture for, you know, the people that are then going to use that to go make money or make the double head stripe purple hippopotamus thing. Um, so, <laughs> Love yes. <those>. So uh, <laughs> along, yeah. you know, that line that that is an aspect of of this you know thing that we do called herpetoculture. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things, mm-hmm. one of the aspects of herpetoculture in the private sector that is severely lacking, and it would be wonderful if it could come. It, I don't know if it was ever there to begin with. It sounds like it was there back in the eighties and the nineties, just not in a kind of a official capacity. Mm-hmm. It's like we don't, you know, we have these big shows. We have Tinley, we have Schomburg, yeah. Pomona. Yeah. But we don't have what we have in science, mm-hmm. which is the whole get, get together, present your stuff, talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that's just lacking. And a lot of people will hear that and be like, oh, what are you talking about? Um, but if people had a sounding board <laughs> and we had that in our hobby, I think that more people would go to that than we realize. I don't th- it doesn't need to be yeah. a 15 minute presentation like a scientific um, meeting, per se, but like. Like the Gecko Symposium you 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 were part of before yeah. Tinley, if yeah. if those uh-huh. were more prevalent, we might be able to get 
it would be celebrating the scientific side of herpetoculture, which would then give people a reason mm-hmm. to do it. But unfortunately, yeah. the sounding board we have for the scientific side of herpetoculture is freaking Facebook. And because we have these mm-hmm. groups, you get into the group and you promote your idea and then that's, you know, you get flamed. That's also what leads to these silos or nippers or whatever it is you're talking about, I think. Um, uh, so there's not really a place for us to promote our ideas, to put our ideas out there. We used to have things like the Vivarium magazine, hell, even mm-hmm. Reptiles magazine in the mid nineties, yeah. Reptiles magazine was completely different than what it is today. Uh, and that's one of the mm-hmm. things that's very frustrating for me is like, we just don't have a place to put this stuff to have the, the, the ability to get it out there. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's not a prevalent part of our of her as much a prevalent part of herpetoculture in the private sector as we would all want it to be. But I also think after that little nebulous <laughs> tirade um, that there is a growing portion of herpetoculture that's making decisions to get their snake out of the tub and put it in a PVC tank or PVC enclosure, um, give it some UVB. And, you know, and, and that decision is not being based entirely off of economics because UVB's lights are expensive. They're, they're hearing, receiving the science and responding to it. Uh, so mm-hmm. I know just in my little friend groups, the various chats I'm in, I've seen a lot of people who five years ago, their whole collection was in tubs. And now that tub collection is moving more and more and more towards vivariums. Uh, and there's, there's mm-hmm. usually some kind of scientific backing behind it. Sure. Yeah. I, I can get on board mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, in, in regards to sharing of information, I think one of the biggest anti-science things that you can maybe think of is, is the idea that there are trade secrets yes. that you're going to keep information a secret so you can benefit from it. And, and the other people can't, you know, you've cracked the code and, and not only do people keep those things from their, you know, what they consider their competitors. They also actively give false information that would lead them down the wrong uh-huh. path. And so they're thinking they're getting this wonderful intel from a, an experienced seasoned breeder. And, and all of a sudden, you know, they, they're having failure after failure and they try the other way and then they have success. And they're like, well, was that on purpose? Is he trying to throw me off the sand of, so I won't compete with him, you know? And, and, I mean, there's nothing more anti-scientific than, you know, putting out false information to lead people away from the truth, you know. So that's a that's one of the biggest evidences of, of uh, non-scientific thought within our hobby is is that idea of trade secrets and and leading people in the wrong direction. And that, that doesn't only apply to, um, you know, herpeticulture. It can also apply to maybe field herping too, where people are saying, Oh, don't look over there. You won't, you got to go over here to find them, you know, and they're leading you in the complete wrong direction. And I get it. You know, if, if you're, if you're telling all these spots or, or you're giving away spots that somebody asked you to keep in confidence or showed you in confidence, you know, keep that a secret. Don't, don't be telling the world (laughs) about those because there are unscrupulous herpers that are going to damage that another indication of anti-scientific, you know, uh, thought within the, the community is is trashing herb sites yeah. and not taking care of the wild resources and, and herbs that that are out there and and using them more as another 
way to make money. You know, if I, if I keep this secret and I go out and collect from this spot, then, then I'm going to make it rich or, or somebody told me about this spot and it's a great herb spot, but I'm going to collect everything and make a quick buck off it. You know, it's just, that's, that's probably the most, uh, disheartening aspect or, or the most, the, the part of the hobby that just leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. Anytime I see a trashed environment from herpers, I'm just like, really guys, do you really care about the stuff you're keeping? Or is it just dollar signs? You know, despicable. Yeah. I'm not going to like rebut that. Cause it's true. No, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'll fully admit exactly. you know, being a field biologist, conservation biologist i've totally i've I've just recently got back into herping and i love that i can do this again Mm -hmm. um and i've definitely rolled up on sites that i uh, i know people knew about and just the the tins everywhere or um the rocks Mm -hmm. are definitely not put in the footprint of where they should be uh and and in that Mm -hmm. situation that's just not defendable so yeah Oh, I was reading uh, on that note, you know, just kind of a side note. I was reading that uh, uh, Rick Shine's book, uh, Too Many yeah. Snakes, Too Little Time. And um, there was, you know, there's a chapter on the broad-headed snakes and they're, they're that group. Uh, what is that? Bung, some, I think it starts, the genus starts with a B, but the broad-headed yep. snakes and the uh, Stevens bandits and those guys and um, venomous snakes. But they were disappearing from these habitats and they weren't sure why. And Well, they discovered that the proper type of rock that they need to thrive in, in this environment in Sydney, kind of where it's more temperate and cold, they needed these thinner layer rocks that kind of sat yeah. on top of other rocks and gave them a spot to thermoregulate and to find prey. And, and they found out that people were collecting these rocks even out of natural national parks for their gardens and so they were depleting the the correct rocks that the snakes needed to to survive and so what they did is they made a bunch of fake rocks with the right <laughs> parameters and put a little seal so it kind of keep the moisture under there and uh, set those out and then they found that the snakes were coming back and utilizing those habitats and the populations were improving again and then um, all of a sudden they found out oh these these rocks aren't being used anymore and and then they noticed oh there's trees growing up in front of the sun and keeping the sun from hitting them at the right time of day and so they cut down some of the branches and showed oh the snakes yeah. come back when the you know the sun hits the rocks at right so you know they kind of made an artificial environment and so nobody's going to collect this fake ugly rock they're you know they're going to leave it there because it's not the real thing or whatever and and then the you know the the um, their information led to wildlife biologists or park park rangers keeping you know people from collecting uh, rocks out of the out of the parks and stuff like that. So really cool uh, studies uh, by Shine's group to to demonstrate that. But I thought I thought you know that was kind yeah. of cool. So. Um, yeah, that's that's not necessarily uh, very exciting considering the ecological damage that you know unscrupulous herpers can can wield on the environment but uh you know it's something that kind of shows yes. that maybe we can help some of these now, now flip side using herpers which mm-hmm. we're kind of we're, in, we're under the umbrella of private herpetology now i guess sure. i don't know yeah. is that yeah there are plenty of field herpers that work alongside state wildlife personnel and you know do volunteer uh volunteer their time um, to go out with mm-hmm. people to, to look for animals. I mean, here in in the mid-Atlantic region, there's a big effort right now to just simply document box turtles. It's citizen science. Yeah. And I know my mm-hmm. crew, 
we did a field trip in Kentucky for crayfish and I set the location on my phone and every flipping box turtle we saw, which they're not, they're doing fine in that part of Kentucky. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, we took the pictures, we got the, the coordinates, we uploaded it to the website um, or I uploaded mm-hmm. it to the website. But in that regard, that's an example of where you know, I can flat out tell you as a field biologist, I don't care who finds the animal I'm looking for. As long as someone finds the animal that I'm looking for, I can get the data. I do care if that person that finds it is going to like treat it with respect and not run away with it. That's, that's the, that's the yeah. problem. Yeah. Uh, and I think yeah. that that is an area where the, the, you know, field herpers, as long as they're not tr- being shady, bagging everything, taking pictures, doing it with ethics, um, mm-hmm. there's definitely a, a group of biologists that are going to look at those individuals as a resource and not um, a threat. Great example in West Virginia. I'm going to plug one, plug a guy named Jared Kane um, here in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, corn snakes were known from a single county, from a single, like from two specimens that were dead on a road. And one of our herpers mm. who doesn't keep anything super ethical with his, his collection you know, methods, he had to prove himself to our DNR. Um, but he went out and laid a board line where these snakes are supposed to be. And uh, I got to go with him to the board line. Um, he has found more corn snakes in West Virginia than everybody and anybody ever will. Uh, he's fanatical about <laughs> yeah. it. And I can flat out tell you, in a state like mine that doesn't have large amounts of money that can be put towards conservation, Jared literally is quite – he's writing the book um, uh, on, on corn mm-hmm. snakes. And now their distribution mm-hmm. has expanded a bit. But due to the intensity of his effort, he also confirmed the perceived rarity. Uh, and if we don't have mm-hmm. Jared, who's not getting a paycheck, doesn't have a biology degree, he is yeah. a herper, 100%. Yeah. We don't have that data yeah. on that snake. Um, and I know that yeah. that's a great example with Jared of the West Virginia DNR, yeah. the, the, the state herpetologist. Um, he values Jared and Jared's time and effort uh, just as much as my time and effort. Um, uh, on the same token, this week, uh, West Liberty received nine box turtle or sorry, wood turtles, not box turtles that were confiscated mm-hmm. yeah. from some guy's backyard mm-hmm. in New Jersey. Uh, because they were heading yeah. to China as part of um, the black market trade in, in turtles. So, like, everything has – it's it, there's there's two sides to this coin all the time. The question yeah. then is just yeah. – I think there's an ethical thing that we as herpetoculturalists, herp- field herpers, whatever, you have to just make a judgment call and decide which side of that coin you're going to be on. Because it's very tempting yeah. to produce a whole bunch of snakes that probably aren't going to live their best life but are going to sell for $1,500, mm-hmm. $2,500, $3,000. Like great example with me, mm-hmm. um, I have a, a false water cobras or my snake. I have a lavender. I have two het lavs, and I just sit there and think, mm-hmm. am I going to ever make these things? Um, because the normal <laughs> falsies that I have, I went to great lengths to get as diverse genetics as I can get. And the animals that I'm producing mm-hmm. right now, can you know, they're – they're relatively healthy. Um, uh, they're they get huge. They do everything a false water cobra is supposed to do based off what we have data for. And then I look at the lavenders, which everybody wants a lavender. I get more messages about are you going to make lavs than my my normals. 
And there's this part of me that doesn't yeah. know if I want to make them or not, because when I do make them, yeah. I'm not keeping any of those things. I don't want them. Um, <clears throat> you know, yeah. uh, but, but I also, as a biologist understand that the quality of life of that animal is probably not the same as the quality of the life of the guys that are more heterogeneous at the same time. I could be talking out my mm-hmm. ass cause I'm not a false water Cobra. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, but these are the things that I think about when I'm making my decisions, at least it's, there's there's more to it than wow I get a clutch of twenty of these and they sell for twenty you know two grand a piece I just made forty thousand dollars I never yeah. that thought doesn't come across my mind in fact there's even a part yeah. of me that's yeah. thought I might make them and sell them for like a hundred bucks just to mm-hmm. you know just to see what happens so um yeah but uh that that's that that was actually brought up <laughs> on uh, on carpets and coffee Owen said you know they want to debate uh would find you know having a morph for a rare species or less commonly kept species is that good for it or bad mm-hmm. for it you know are you bringing yeah. more uh of that uh, money aspect into it versus well, I, you know, I, I kind of had this uh disagreement with uh dr warren booth on on the npr chat over um <laughs> there was a there was an albino uh tracier that was posted up and um you know i just kind of said like ah get get it out of here you know like what mm-hmm. like what good is going to come of that and and you know warren you know probably rightly said like well it's not going to really mess the whole species up and i was like well it's not going to do any good for it it could mess the whole species up i mean <laughs> th- there, there's so few of them bred you know there there are enough around i suppose you know his point is taken but i just don't see the benefit you know i don't see the good that comes out of it is 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 somebody gonna start breeding albino tracier and then all of a sudden get a uh, um, you know an onus to be very scientific about the uh, ab- about how tracier are, are treated and bred because now there's an albino uh, in there or are they gonna say oh there's money here to be made because it's a weird big snake that's normally brown and nobody cares about <laughs> but now it's white and you know it's like cool okay i like that you know i i just i don't know i i i yeah one one uh other i guess negative aspect of of that you know uh line of reasoning there is um you know a lot of times when people are doing citizen science they might have like like your your friend that you mentioned they might have insights into local populations or new populations or or abundance of animals like just for example we we were a part of a herp group in utah and we were looking into how abundant um, milk snakes were in the state, milk snakes and mountain king snakes, because they're perceived as very, very rare and, you know, that kind of thing. But it turns out they're, they're not as rare as, as they thought. And it's just a matter of being able to find yeah. them because they go underground when it gets dry and it gets dry a lot in Utah. <laughs> so you don't see them very often except during, you know, periods of rainfall or, or you know, uh, the correct, uh, weather conditions will bring them out. And so, um, you know, you could you could kind of look at it as a negative as- attitude of be like, you know, the biologists don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're talking about. And I, I've been out here and I've seen 30 of them. So why should I respect their laws? Because they're based on falsehoods, you know, so they'll collect or, or you know, do things illegally that way. And and actually, that's how the the work group came to an end <laughs> is one of the one of the members got uh, arrested for um, poaching Gila monsters. <laughs> And, and kind of, you know, almost justifiably watching their habitat get paved over mm-hmm. and going, 
well, they don't really care, you know, and there's plenty of them around and I've found, you know, five this year. So I'm going to keep a couple because their habitat's going to be gone tomorrow, you know? So it's, it's kind of a yep. double-edged sword in a way, but you know, you do have, you could go that way. And, and that could be a negative aspect where you're saying, you know, these biologists don't know what they're you know talking about. So I'm going to disregard the laws. And then you get busted with wood turtles in yeah. your backyard, you know, because you know of a healthy population of wood turtles and you're not harming the population, even though it says, you know, they're, they're vulnerable or threatened or whatever. You're like, well, I've taken, taken five or six a year and, and sold them to China for good money. And, I think and it's, I think it's the population, but I think that's that, that it's that part you just said that I, that I exported them and sold them to China. That's the, that's <laughs> yeah. the, the, that's the, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of like, yeah, but, but yeah. yeah, that, that, I guess that arrogance of saying, I know better than all the professional biologists. And so I'm going to disregard what they are saying and, and do what I want to do with these and, and make money off them if I want to, just because, you know, they're, they're again, you know, it's, it's not, it's not anything scientific. They're just, well, but don't you, to, don't you, you feel know, that somebody who's, who's interested in doing that is going to, they'll find the justification, you know, somewhere to, to reinforce what they're doing. Yeah. I guess my point is that they they are doing the work. They're they're learning about the population. They're out there. They know them probably better. But instead of mm-hmm. contributing, and and maybe that's the fault of the fish and wildlife. They're not working together with citizen scientists as much as they should. And I mean, obviously, citizen scientists are a great resource, and we've got different databases based on citizen science, like iNaturalist and things. And you know, there's always pros and cons to those databases. But for the most part, I think that's good information. If you know where something is, regardless of who found it and and you can kind of do population studies or figure out where the lines are drawn or where populations exist based on people now granted that might skew it towards where people go more often and yeah. you know you have kind of dead zones where nobody's going there's no roads and so you don't have a good picture of a complete you know data set so that makes it a little difficult but then that can allow the biologists maybe to focus a little more in some of those uh lesser studied areas or yeah. private land or things with, like with that, the citizen you know. science stuff there has to be controls built into it for it to be valid and when you add the controls yeah. and you add data management to the to the endeavor, um, you are sometimes that is viewed by the participants as you're questioning my knowledge. Therefore, you think you're better than me. And then that leads to that mm-hmm. whole arrogance thing. Uh, but when it's done, when the communication is open and the biologists involved are openly communicating with the people they're letting them know why, and you have a receptive pub, receptive pool of people that are participating that understand why we have to do the data management the way that we have to do the data management. Um, that's when it is as good as it gets. Now, how often that happens, that's up. That's not helping me with my point. <laughs> but <Yeah>. um, <laughs> at the same time, though, there are plenty of examples uh, of, of where that ha- yeah. where, where that has occurred. Once again, a lot of things going down with, you know, turtles, because I, I just yeah. I, I really look up to the turtle side of herpetoculture. And I don't feel like we pay enough attention to the to the model they have created of how private sector can get along with agency folks and can get along with scientific community and can get along with zoos. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they kind of at least a subset of them have, have kind of cracked that code. Um, mm-hmm. so what, what has to happen though, is there has to be communication on the side of the scientists 
and the scientists can't come off as arrogant assholes. Um, so, mm-hmm. and, and I, and I, as a scientist, I can flat out say, I understand the people who get mad when they're trying to do good. You've got the best of intentions. You yeah. really are, you're giving up your time. You're spending your money to get out there because you're passionate. And then you reach out because you just want to help this animal that you really, really appreciate, love, respect, whatever. And then you get shut mm-hmm. down because you don't have the degree or you don't have, you know, Doctor yeah. Dickwad, there you go. Gets you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and the, the thing that is is I can say this because uh, you know I I I am privy to the meetings and I have to do this with the endangered crayfish I was talking about. That is changing quite mm-hmm. a bit. Um, I think that mm-hmm. we are finally understanding yeah. that there are not enough conservation biologists out there, uh, and that as long as you have you the public's willing to take the guidance so that the data that's being collected is good. That's what people don't understand mm-hmm. is it's QA it's quality control of the data. It, it, you know, yes, you found the the crazy map turtle, which is awesome. But like, you also mm-hmm. have to make sure you take decimal degrees and that you don't tell, you don't blast that out on the internet. So then the people that are, are like lurking in the shadows can then swoop in and catch the, the turtle. So that's where, you know, turtle. Yeah. Um, having having the biologist oversee the effort and you as the participant following their guidance, that's the only reason why that's there. It's a quality control issue. Um, and why yeah. is that there, whether we want to admit it or not? Because herpers have a tendency back in the day to put things in bags and buckets and then drive to the reptile show and sell it. So uh, mm-hmm. and and I I've heard lots of people get really upset and they you know, they, they lash out and they get on social media and this and that when it comes to uh, this aspect of the hobby. But the local show that I went to and still go to, I was there this past weekend, the the show in Columbus, The it's been busted so many times. And they just shut the door down, kick everybody out, and the fish and wildlife biologists walk through. And it's not so much an issue now, but back when I was in yeah. college, early 2000s, I distinctly remember walking – through the door there and looking at all the fox snakes that were for sale for thirty dollars, mm-hmm. and asking, I was yeah. naive as hell as a twenty year old, and I was like, "Oh, are these captive bred? Yes, they're captive bred." And then I bought my pair for fifty dollars, <laughs> and on the way home, I found ticks on them. And I'm like, "Oh, they're breeding the ticks yeah. too, and putting them on the captive bred <laughs> snake." And I remember um, seeing blanding turtles yeah. on tables, and you don't see that now. Mm-hmm. So there is a nice That's change. Yeah, but you know, you also sit and think. It, well, it could also be because they're not putting the blandings tables that, on the table because they're just taking those and shipping yeah. them straight to China. So, like, you know, yeah. what's what's yeah. going on on that? Front? So, do you think that's an? Eth- do you think that's a, a shift in ethics, or do you just think that's a regulatory? <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's both. Uh, I, I think for and, and it, it depends on the person. I think some people don't want to get busted and they don't want to go to prison and they don't want to get fined. And, and they understand these things. You know, people are actually paying attention now and these rules have teeth. Yeah. But I also, to give credence to my side of the argument, I think there are plenty of people that want to do this right now. That That's the, the, the thing that I like mm-hmm. it. There, there's just in the short window, since I came back to herpetoculture in 2014, um, when I came back in was like kind of the apex of, the morph craze with lots of things, not just ball pythons. Um, yeah, I was listening yeah. to lots of podcasts back then trying to get content. And there were a lot of conversations 
justifying racks. Uh, those same people that were justifying the racks are now justifying PVC enclosures and talking about the good of PVC enclosures. And that that's, mm-hmm. that's a result of, of a, of a seed change with a particular facet of herpetoculture. There will always be the, the people that run out and grab every collared lizard and take them to the local show. That's never going away. I don't, I, I think yeah. it's disingenuous to think it's going away and there's always going to be the morphs, but I can say in, one of the things that's been really interesting about our podcast with Colubrids is that Matt and I don't keep the classic, you know, morph crazed Colubrids uh, clu- yeah. and Colubroids. We're just going to say Colubrids now. Um, and <laughs> we've been doing episodes on file snakes and, uh, you know, yeah. Asiatic rat mm-hmm. snakes and these obscure things. And when we look at like the. Um, trying to because i'm a scientist i look at the data so i go into like apple Podcasts and see how many people listen to that episode and the 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 episodes that are getting the most traction are either the episodes where we pick something totally obscure so you would think it would be like no Mm -hmm. one's going to listen to file snakes so many people listen to our file snakes episode and then we do these nerdy episodes where it's it's not that different from what i do in my herpetoculture class like we did the brumation bonanza we gave it that name you yeah, know? that was. A yeah, but great that one. was like yeah. a lecture with swearing. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that, that's basically <laughs> what it, what it was, and that that got thousands of listens. So that's showing yeah. that herpetoculture is hungry for that. There's a facet of our mm-hmm. discipline that wants that treatment, and so um, mm-hmm. that's why I think there is hope. Uh, now, whether they yeah. will outnumber the others, I don't know, but they're there, and they may not have been there in the numbers yeah. that they're there currently just half a decade ago. So, yeah. So, and, and I, I, I would agree. I mean, I think that, you know, the, our, the more complete exactly. carpet Python, that's another <laughs> evidence that people are hungry for, for information and they're going to spend money on a book. Yeah. You know, that's uh, everybody says print is dead, but I don't think print is dead. I think, you know, there's plenty of people that want to have that book in their hands. And, and, and I think, you know, we had that, like you said, we had that big push for, you know, breeding in racks and we're kind of shifting more towards larger caging and we're shifting more towards information and, and obscure species and things. And that's really encouraging. I, I really hope that continues. I just had an off the side question. So, Zach, you were talking about how um, how, how, you know, agencies, um, DNR, Fish and Wildlife work with citizen scientists. What what really drives what they're interested in? Is it is it science? Is it science that's pushing you know new papers, new new research of where these agencies should be concerned? Is that is that ultimately where you know? Because obviously, there's probably more areas that 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 you know that. Of intra of citizen science concern that that these agencies could possibly manage. There, so where does that come from? Well, every state has different drivers for one thing. So like, um, I can I can speak specifically for West Virginia because I've done a lot of work here, obviously, um, and I'm also yeah. talking more about like understudied animals. So things like crayfish or uh, frogs are a great example. Um, if you think about like all the biologists that we talk about, you never hear about the frog guy. If you think about it, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there's there's few people yeah. that are dedicating their careers to inert, you know frogs, but at the same time we need to know about them. Um, they're canaries in the coal mm-hmm. mine, all that kind of stuff. So in that regard, yeah. it's very difficult for a 
government agency to dedicate a biologist completely to frogs. Okay, but frogs are a taxa that lend themselves to citizen science projects because unlike all the other herps, they sit somewhere and scream, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. So you don't have to go out and actually <laughs> yeah. find them. You have to be able to, to listen to them. So there's like this initiative that's called Frog Watch. It's been going on for over a decade. And you, USGS is the group, I believe, that came up with Frog Watch. But they came up with, you know, they, they, the, uh, the approach of setting it up was very scientific. They basically randomized the entire United States, came up with a tic-tac-toe board of, I, I don't know what the grid was, but it was something like 50 square kilometers all across the country. And then they looked at where all the frogs were, and then they basically generated different specific localities or different grids that needed an effort. And if they could get volunteers to sample in these different grids all the way across the country, in effect, you end up doing a, a census of frogs and you're doing it annually. But here again, built into the system were quality control mechanisms. So uh, like if you hear uh, – if you would listen to the frogs calling, if there was a, a – you first had to identify the frog. So in that sense, instance, mm -hmm. they created all the learning materials to give to people. So there were all the frog calls. Um, then you had to come up – I saw one – sorry. One, uh, I, I saw one in Australia where they – you have an app yep. and you just it's hit now record it. and it will tell you. What oh, yeah, frog, no, that, yeah. that's how it's done it's now. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And then it was, uh -huh. yeah. okay, when the frogs are calling, there's three different density metrics. So, like, if you hear one frog calling by itself, you would note the species and then put a one. And then if you can hear mm -hmm. enough animals where there's a space in between calls, you'd put the species in a two. And then if it's like a deafening chorus, you'd put the species in a three. Uh, and then you turn in that data. So in that regard – there's lots of reasons why USGS wants to do that. One is they want to get the data. Okay. Two, whether we like it or not, and we have a tendency in herpetoculture to vilify the state biologists of the world, which isn't fair, I don't think. Um, they, they are also wanting to do some kind of outreach. They want their citizenry to be engaged with the with the animals because if you care about the animals – when a regulation comes up to preserve them or protect them, you might be less likely to, you know, get your pitchforks and torches out. Um, and at the same time, they, they, they need the data. So here we have a volunteer workforce of potentially hundreds, of maybe thousands of people that are all going to be going out the same time of year. And if you can, if you can just make the data quality good and you can actually pull that off as biologists that, that can, tell a lot and since frog watch has occurred uh they've been able to show with frog watch data um I, I don't know if it started in the late 90s or the early 2000s but i did it when i was in a herpetology lab as a grad student i've had my students go out and do it but they've been able to show like you know we talk about climate change spring breeding amphibians are a great group of animals to see if climate change is really impacting them mm -hmm. because they historically would call the junction of spring and winter and if that's creeping earlier and earlier and earlier in the year, you can show that winter is shortened, spring is longer, you know, mm. whatever. Yeah. And through Frog Watch, they've been able to clearly demonstrate with really common species hmm. that the, t the time of reproduction for these animals is, is much earlier than it was just two decades ago. That's an example hmm. of where it's all working. Um, so yeah. 
So can I can I sure. ask a follow up question? Mm-hmm. Uh, this this will definitely go to you, and and I'm sorry for this, but yeah, sure. so in examples like we mentioned USGS, mm-hmm. uh, we talk about fish and wildlife. So USGS was notorious in yep. in kind of the herb community for releasing that that study about uh, large constrictors, you know, s- sweeping across the United States, and then and then fish and wildlife recently down in Florida, you know, and and uh, I think we had. Uh, um, uh, Ron St. Pierre on, and he kind of talked about, you know, it, it's really a funding issue for the agency. And, and so here in both examples, I, I feel like you see government agencies in, in, in at least in, in Herper's eyes, vilifying oh, yeah. them to, to fund their own, um, their own agencies. So, what, you know, how, 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 how to, how do they reckon, how do people reconcile I'm that? I'm very happy you brought up the Burmese pythons because I have a very unpopular opinion that goes against everyone. Um, a lot of USGS funding is internal. So they are given mm-hmm. a pot of money. As, that USGS field biologist jobs, if you get a PhD and you can land one of those gigs, they're kind of the holy grail. Like, um, I like teaching more than research. So I'm at my prime institution, but I can flat out tell you lots of people who had my academic background, you know, when they go out to get the position, they want the USGS co-op unit gig. Uh, and, and so they were just simply, they were tasked initially with just, just, just yeah. because it's funded science, well, yeah, you, you have a right? certain amount of it's, money. It, the money. Yeah. I don't want to give the yeah, impression. The I don't want this to be misinterpreted as you got all the money in the world. Okay. You absolutely as right, those right. biologists have to apply for funding, but if it's an initiative, mm-hmm. That you know that co-op unit once figured out, there can be some funds given towards it. And gotcha. what? So your your funding's yeah. more fast tracked. Mm-hmm. And what was done gotcha. with the pythons is what's called um, a maxent model, maximum entropy model was done, where you basically go and you gather all this data in the field where the pythons live, and you have to go and catch the pythons. Then you get that coordinate we're talking about. Then you look at the annual climactic data. There, then you go to where berms are native to. You get the annual climactic data there, and then you pump it in. You produce a model, and the model shows the potential range of uh, Burmese pythons. And the thing is, that paper is not garbage the way that it is portrayed. The model that was created was created with the algorithms in that software, and and that's it. Now the interpretation of the model. That's where you can kind of go, meh. But everybody talks about how oh, the science was bad. It was not bad science. The interpretation of the science is where we run into some problems. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing with the Burns issue, as far as science is concerned, and I know that I'm like totally going against my side of the argument right now, by the way. But um, <laughs> no, I think this is just good information. I think this is great yeah, information. Yeah. So the thing is, rock on. anybody that says that berms are not impacting the Everglades doesn't understand basic ecology. There is an entire subset of mammals, marsh rabbits, raccoons, possums, bobcats, the coyotes, the uh, gray foxes, the, what we call the meta mammals. They're in the middle part of the food web. Um, and mm-hmm. it, it's standard issue exercise. Field biologists have been doing this for years. We drive cars. We kill animals with our cars. You drive down the road of your park, if you're a park biologist, and you have your little field notebook in your front seat, and you note every mammal you see dead on the road. And when the python showed up, those numbers started to decline. And now today, they're just not there, the same numbers they used to be. 
the new kid in town is the python. All righty. So the pythons are eliminating that, like the data shows pythons show up, meta mammals go away. Okay. No pythons, meta mammals there. What do pythons eat? Meta mammals. Okay. So um, that's another thing where I've, I've, I've heard people say, oh, it's a conspiracy. It's out to get a, like, I don't think that's true. I was in the Everglades in March looking for, um, on, on a herping trip, I went down to uh, Bell Glade and Clewiston to the cane fields to look for Florida king snakes because I had an idea for a project. And we were mm-hmm. road cruising up there. Marsh rabbits were freaking everywhere. Um, I had to like weave and, and duck with the, the car not to hit them. Okay. <laughs> There's no berms there. We went to the Everglades and no marsh rabbits. Didn't see a raccoon. No possums. Mm-hmm. So like that is there. The, the, so denying that, that is also when the biologists that make these regulations look at our community and go, really? Like, we got the freaking data, and you're just denying the data because you think there's a conspiracy here. Now, now I'm going to flip it before everybody gets mad at Dr. Zach, <laughs> because <laughs> feral cats do far more damage across our country yeah. than pythons do. So there is absolute like that's where the where when I look at it that's where I kind of go what the hell like the pythons yeah. are not the yes they are bad for southern florida should we be bringing big constrictors into southern florida probably not we got one We're that not, escaped right. and it's established itself um the vilify mm-hmm. big constrictors everywhere as the the penultimate invasive species when we literally have cats that are eating millions to billions of small vertebrates everywhere they live and feral cats live yeah. from the keys to alaska i mean they're everywhere like that's the, that should <laughs> yeah. be public and, enemy and number ignoring, one yeah ignoring so, that uh-huh. data yeah and that's you know, where i yeah. get and taking on something yes. that's so when yeah, i teach conservation and, biology yeah. that's literally like this is in my lecture mm-hmm. uh, but it, it's <laughs> I, I i think we do damage when we totally Everybody goes straight to the pitchfork and the blowtorch when we bring up the berms. Yeah. But whether we like it yeah. or not, those meta mammals are gone. Okay. Now, there's another, you know, there's all kinds of arguments here because it's complicated. It's not black or white. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, there was just the paper that came out. I can't remember how this works. I think it was, it basically, I'm going to butcher this, so I'm sorry. But like, I think it said, so the python showed up and they knocked down the raccoon and the possum populations, which were the main egg predators for the crocodiles. So now the crocodiles don't have the egg predators. They're an endangered species. And now the croc numbers are going up. So, like, yeah. you got to acknowledge that as well. But are croc yeah. numbers going up worth an ecosystem going into turmoil? You know, <laughs> right. it's just complicated. And that's the thing about this stuff. Right, it's not yeah. black, white. It's complicated. And you just have to take a sa- yeah. take a step back, look at the data and interpret it. But I'm totally on mm-hmm. team. Cats are way more, way more deleterious than pythons ever could be. Sure. <laughs> well, and I mean, you can still have you can still have a bad invasive large constrictor yeah. and still have an agency that's there to fix it or regulate it or help it or whatever still not necessarily be all anti reptile yeah. right mm-hmm. like like we can have those two things and i think i think some of the issue has gone around because they've put out things that are very you know anti large constrictor in the everglades that 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 means that they're yes. anti reptile and 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 you know i guess i see where some of that 
where, where some of that comes from with the way that they're starting to regulate, you know, uh, the, the, the capacity that those agencies want to be able to start to regulate species without all the red tape. And that's what they're looking for is they're looking for bigger muscles yes. when they want to regulate stuff. And, you know, to everybody who's invested in that, in the, in the reptile community, they're like, oh my gosh, that now they have, yeah. you know, they, they've got a double barrel shotgun on us. And, and I, I, I totally understand why people are upset with the regulations the way that they're going down. Um, I'm not – I don't want this to be interpreted that like I, I think that this was done well. I do not think that this <laughs> yeah. was done well. <laughs> no. um, but I don't think it was done well on all sides. I, I, I think that yeah. at the, yeah. the beginning of this whole conversation decade ago, if lucid heads would have prevailed, would have been great. Now – the agencies, you know, I don't know if any, if you two have been to South Florida, but South Florida is an invasive herp wonderland. Like you can literally oh, yeah. see yeah. invasive, just yeah. invasive everything. Cabas, wonderland. Yeah. Fish, yeah. plants. I almost yeah. killed yeah. a van full of students yeah. driving to the Keys. There's the last um, red light before you get to the Keys. <laughs> and I was sitting there uh-huh. and um, I don't know what it was, but mina birds. And they're well known for this uh-huh. site. They came down or landed in the middle of the road. And I was like, that's mina. That's a minor. And in Miami, if you don't like yeah. go when it turns green, you die. And sure enough, yeah. like there's cars everywhere. Kids are screaming. So, you know, there's an Asiatic bird. So I just I just think that like it, 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 the whole thing's just a hot freaking mess. Um, yeah. Well, and, and I, I, I think that's the, you know, the the benefit of having something like US Arc is they they're our representatives and they should be the ones that have clear heads and can talk about, you know, Hey, let's think about this aspect of it. Is it a problem? Yes. Let's, let's fix it in a way that's actually going to do something about the problem and not just restrict and, and keep, you know, reptile enthusiasts from enjoying their hobby kind of thing, you know? And, and so, you know, just a kind of a plug for us arc there that, and, and, and that's probably to your side that us arc is a great example of, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, good things for the, for the hobby and good things going on to, partner with uh fish and wildlife agencies to make maybe common sense laws and and frankly i mean if if you're not going to be responsible with or or the herps pose a a significant threat for the environment should we be keeping them there do you have to have a tegu if you you know that kind of thing like i mean yeah it's great to have stuff but at the same time what's more important the environment around you or or your right to have a have a big conservation is all about compromise you 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 have to compromise Mm -hmm. yeah tegus are a great example uh tegus really are whether we want to admit it or not they're kind of an ecological disaster waiting to happen because this is an animal Mm -hmm. that has the ability to jet like it, it they're semi endothermic where they live in Argentina, Bolivia, you know, Uruguay, it yeah. gets cold there. And, and these are generalist yeah. omnivores. Like a Python is a, is, is not a great invasive, but a, a much worse mm-hmm. invasive is one that can literally eat plants, <laughs> eggs, Anything. garbage. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not yeah. going to, con- there's, there's all these different filters that filter and, and determine whether an invasive can take hold. And, when you have that generalized foraging capacity, yeah, it, those filters kind of go away. Uh, and I, I, I've seen, you know, as soon as the, t- the, the 
the tegu ban happening in Florida where people's lives and income are, are derived from those animals and they've obviously gone to great lengths to maintain them. I do not think it was right to just mm-hmm. take that away. Like, that's not cool. Um, yeah. um, so I'm not in yeah. favor of that. But let's say, you know, we got these other more northern states where they're found in the wild. Like, this is – these agency biologists are not I, – I've literally seen where people are like, oh, well, they took – the South Carolina DNR let them go, so then we can get rid. I don't really think that they did that. I know some people that are DNR biologists in South Carolina. They got a hell of a lot of things to do. They're. I don't really think they're driving around with tegus in the bed of their truck, chucking them out, turning around, <laughs> yeah. and being like, "Look." Um, but if like tegus were to get out, that's going to do so much more damage to herpetoculture as a whole. Once they yeah. become established and they're wiping out everything, and then people have four foot dragons in their backyard because that's the way it's going to be interpreted if we were to like put a control mm-hmm. mechanism on the tegus but then compromise and say everything else is fair game and then you know we get all upset i don't know if that's the best optics yeah like you're you're you're, yeah. you're basically yeah, showing so you are going to take all or nothing some <laughs> um so uh-huh. yeah and maybe that's a point for my yes, side is, is we don't do well with compromise. We <laughs> no. want to have everything and unre- unre- unregulated. And, and that's an American thing. That's, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, yeah. Well, that's yeah. you it's know, an American thing. That's guns. For that's sure. fast food. That's ice cream. That's, I mean, <laughs> at the same time, stop me, yeah. stop me when I run you out of You can stuff. make the argument that there's a slippery slope because the regulations were passed yeah. in Florida and now all these other mm-hmm. animals are, are slowly but surely being added to the, to the list. Yeah. And so there is, some fact in that i know i'm well it, but at the same I mean, time I, I, I guess i calmer heads can prevail so like one example that i yeah. always use I, I tell people this all the time mm-hmm. west virginia put out herp regulations and um mm-hmm. i didn't know they were doing it i'm on I'm, i go to meetings i don't want to give the impression like i'm on some council but that our dnr yeah. has a herp meeting just the people that do herpetology professionally in the state and mm-hmm. i have grad students doing it so i count um and they didn't really – they just mentioned that herp regs were going to be changing in West Virginia. That was the extent in the meeting. And then I'm sitting at my desk one day, and then sure enough, holy hell, they changed. And one of the things that changed was you are not allowed to have any native species of reptile and amphibian in West Virginia, period. Um, <laughs> and they like yeah. – but, you know, and, and so I looked at that and was like <laughs> – I mean, I laughed because I know the, the people that have to enforce this. <laughs> and I was like, you just yeah. you just banned corn snakes, man. It, it, that's yeah. the mo- yeah. like, next to ball pythons and Lord knows what that's yeah. a common snake. They're in every freaking Petco across the state. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was, I, I, I had calm head. I didn't like rant and rave, but I called up the yeah. biologists who are field biologists. They're not herpetoculture yeah. people. And I explained yeah. as a herpetoculture person, you don't know what you just did because <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> you yeah, just turned your life's going to become, yeah, into a your life's gonna become <laughs> hell because you're going to start acquiring all these corn snakes. Maybe yeah, you put in there something like what uh, I think it was New Jersey. One of the New England states has no. I think it's New Jersey because they have corn snakes there. You mm-hmm. you can't have a natural phenotype corn snake, but you can have one that has like albino eyes. So here we can have our cake mm-hmm. and eat it too. You know, if you really like mm-hmm. Okatees, you're out of luck because that's a normal phenotype. But if you like <laughs> snows or motleys yeah. or whatever, okay, we can have we mm-hmm. can have corn snakes. So, um, and I was I, I talked to them, and sure enough, they they've it's been changed now to where with corn snakes, <laughs> mutants are okay. You just can't have the normal phenotype like that. 
is the way this should work. Um, but it worked because I didn't come in like a freaking freight train saying like, give me back all my snakes. Like I didn't do that. <laughs> you know, I explained <laughs> the side of, of the coin and I used science and herpetoculture yeah. to, you know, and to, 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 to get that. And threw in there the rare way that a morph can unfuck something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And, and the other thing was, it was also kind of interesting to give this argument of like, I'm also lightening your workload because you're the guy that has to go out and get yep. all the candy cane corn snakes. Yeah. Um, and yep. so, and there for a little yeah. while they were, they were doing that and they kind of realized the, Oh no, we can't do this. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it it, yeah. it, it, has changed that, that I think is a model for how this could happen. Whether that's going to happen or not remains to be seen. And unfortunately we live in a world of all or nothing. Um, yeah. And compromise is very, very hard to to achieve. So, yeah, yeah support US Arc so we can get compromise <laughs> in our hobby. <laughs> Good compromise, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I don't know. If we, I think this is a, a good. Uh, discussion Mm -hmm. we've we've brought up some good topics we i mean we haven't hit on a lot of things and maybe we can do part oh yeah this could have like up to part 30 yeah oh yeah (laughs) yeah there's a lot of a lot of pros and cons Mm -hmm. in in the hobby for sure and and uh you know hopefully this has given given the listener some uh something to think about and and you know i i would i would definitely um, suggest that you really think about your actions and how, you know, how they're impacting our hobby. And if they're just plain selfish or if you're using the hobby to promote reptiles and, and get people excited about them and, and the knowledge out there, um, and you're protecting the environment and being a responsible herper, you know, it's good yeah. things. Those it's are a good, good things. Look. If you're, if you're not lined up with that, then probably rethink mm-hmm. your actions. <laughs> like, Try try again. Try try better. Yes. But um, yeah, That's cool. Well, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Oh, Zach. No worries. It's always a good. Uh, I'll come on again anytime stuff. you have me. Yeah, <laughs> great stuff. Okay, sounds good. That's that's impressive considering you've got your own podcast, mm-hmm. a bunch of students, your your family, yeah. and <laughs> your captive well, animals. This is like an hour and a half yeah, out of my week it. that I can. This is why Matt and yeah. I do our podcasts because it's just like. Uh-huh. Two hours of focus on one thing. So, yeah. you know, that's kind of... Yeah. It's therapeutic, it's, it's, yes, isn't it? <laughs> it's needed. <laughs> so, uh-huh. there you go. <laughs> For sure. All right. Well, um, of course, as always, a big shout out. Well, except last week. Big shout out to... <laughs> Uh, Morelia Python's radio network and and for all the great podcasts including uh, Cluebirds and Cluebroid Radio um, for for hosting us and and uh, thanks to the Almighty Podfather mm-hmm. and and uh, the Mackinwookie for uh, there we go <laughs> all they do um, check out all their stuff on social media and and check out the other podcasts that that are on the network um, all right well uh, thanks again for listening and we'll catch you again next week for another edition of Reptile Fight Club. Until next time, this is your neighborhood Fight Club. <laughs>